kegisi gibi yani. Alhamdulillah أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ولا شبيه له ولا مثيل له ولا وليد له وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا أن يكون لهم الخيارة من أمرهم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له رفعت الأقلام وجفت الصحف أما بعد Dear committed Muslims We are about to enter a new year in a couple of days we will reach the first day of the first month of the Islamic year Al-Muharram and obviously some Muslims begin to enter into their traditional and their cultural and their customary observation <coughs> of what the month of Muharram especially the 10th day of the month of Muharram means to the Muslims and for those who are enlightened among them what it means to humanity <coughs> And then on the other hand, we have other Muslims who are almost passe, as if there's nothing happening, nothing happened. It's just one of the sanctified months. There are four months in the Islamic calendar that are months in which Muslims observe the sanctity of life. And in particular, Muslims always observe it, but in these four months, there's no wars, there's no confrontations, there's no battles, there's no bloodshed, none of that. We try to take a more thoughtful and a more relevant approach to this whole issue. And that is, we Muslims have been suffering from the forceful imposition on us of the dislocation of our priorities. Islam has been reduced to certain practices individual responsibilities and the larger issue of Islam sort of we miss the whole train on the larger issue of Islam this is what we called in the previous khutbas and we'll continue to refer to it as the Umawi Islam 
Muslims, whether they are Sunnis or Shiites, I use these words when I have to. Whether Muslims are Sunnis or Shiites, they are still under the spell of Umawi, if we can call it Umawi Islam. I mean, there's no such thing. It's like combining two irreconcilable types of concepts. We have Islam and then we have the Umawi dynasty. So the Umawi dynasty did what it did. One of the outrageous crimes of the Umawi dynasty was what befell the Muslims on the 10th day of Al-Muharram. But it's destructive effect spread way beyond one day this continued for over one century the way they undermined the meanings of justice and equality and the authority of Allah dismissing his influence his presence in our social lives all of that was swept out of the Muslim mind and out of Muslim communities and we still live with that until what we have the destruction that we have in our midst today I referred in previous khutbas to some of the violations that the Umawi rulers imposed on the Muslim peoples. Let me preface this khutbah, which is a continuation of the other khutbahs, by saying that in the nature of our understanding of Allah and His Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon Him and His, Muslims are by their God-defined nature, Muslims are integrative people. We integrate with human society and we integrate among ourselves. We are not ones who begin to break away from other people. It is other people who begin to break away from us. This is a very important description and a very important identity that we sort of have crushed in these centuries that lapsed. So we became what? We became divisive. Divisive in the sense that we no longer know how to identify with people we're supposed to identify with people who have no power they need a definition of power people who have authorities imposed on on them just like we have authorities imposed on us instead of finding common ground here we begin to break with them we're supposed to integrate but we begin to break with them this attitude of breaking with them i'm talking about people i'm not talking about those who have power i'm not talking about those who have wealth I'm just talking about the average person out there we're supposed to be part of them and they're supposed to be part of us this is a two-way street you give and take the umawi forceful penetration of our minds and souls cut that relationship on the other hand we Muslims among ourselves are supposed to be reinforcing each other how many times have we quoted ayat and a hadith to that effect we all know them but why is it that we have Muslims 
break away from each other, not integrate with each other. Why is it? It's because right now, in our time, in our age, we have a contemporary Umawi mentality because it has money and it has connections they've come to our masajid they've come to our centers they've come to our schools they've come to our whatever wherever we meet and they began to more or less indoctrinate people in the way they look at things and here is where they begin to put barriers among Muslims here's where we begin the real give and take in this issue Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored us with scholars and these same troublemakers the Umawis of today these same troublemakers, they refer to these scholars as one of the things that you will listen to them say, repeating it endlessly. And all of this, you hear, okay, what is it, what do we have in our ulama? Is when we speak about our ulama, are we speaking about a particular line of ulama or speak about the ulama of all of the muslims in all of the past who are these who are you referring to when you say qala ulama so we honor our scholars probably more than they honor them we don't we don't we don't get involved in this contest of who's holier than the other we don't want any of that but these issues that they make divisive the division comes from them and here's, I'm going to go through another line of examples. We have a janazah prayer. An imam is going to pray, lead the prayer or the dua for the deceased. Where does this imam leading al janazah, where does he stand? Now, our ulama, their words, but they don't mean it. They mean their ulama. They don't mean our ulama. Our meaning the Muslim public, the general Muslims. <coughs> when they say our, that means specifically their ulama. So if we want to take a look at all of the ulama, what did they say? Some ulama fuqaha. They said this person who's leading the janazah stands at the chest of the deceased other ulama i'm not going i'm not mentioning the schools of thought because the issue here is not to fall into their own traps but other ulama which we consider we should if we are integrative muslims what they said is equally valid with what others said. They said, no, you don't stand at the chest of the deceased. You stand at the mid-body section of the deceased. Yet other ulama said you stand at the head of the deceased. This, this is what the ulama said. If you honor the ulama, which you are repeating night and day, then that's what they said. So if any Muslim is leading a janazah prayer, give them the validity to lead it according to their school of thought, according to what their heart, the best combination of their heart and mind tells them. They can't do that. They have to be divisive about this if you don't do it that way, their way, you're doing it the wrong way. That's one issue. What did the ulama say about the adhan? Some ulama and the adhan and the iqama. Some ulama said, we say the sentences of the adhan twice, and we say the sentences of the iqama twice. 
Other ulama said, we say the sentences of the adhan twice, but we say the sentences of the iqama once. And therein, there are subtle, different details, which I'm not going to go into, but they differ from one school of thought to the other. So, if you say our ulama, who's our? Are we speaking about the general Muslims? Or are you speaking about a particular selection of preferred ulama? Explain to us, who do you mean? So they make this another issue concerning the adhan. Another issue. When we are standing up in our salah, where do you put your hands? Do you put them in front of you? Or do you put them to your side? And then if you put them in front of you, where do you put them? Do you put them on your chest? Do you put them above your navel? Do you put them below your navel? Or do you put them on the side of you towards your heart? All of these... All of these positions have been stated and quoted by the ulama. So why do these types of individuals come to us and say the particular way to pray is, and then they'll tell you their own version of where you put your hands, and if you don't do it like that, you become a Muslim of bid'ah or a Muslim of dalala or a Muslim of Fisk, Fusuk. Where did this come from? Indirectly you're saying our ulama were ulama of bid'ah and dalala and Fusuk. Which of course they condemn themselves if they wanted to explain to us what they mean. Then we have in the prayer of Janazah. In the prayer of Janazah there's a dua. You say, uh, you plead with Allah on behalf of the deceased so that Allah will grant the deceased mercy and an acceptable accommodation. This dua, when do you say it during the salah of janazah? Do you say it in every rak'ah? Do you say it in the third, uh, excuse me, do you, uh, Salat al-Janazah is four units. Do you say it in every unit? Do you say it in the third unit? Do you say it in the third and fourth unit? All of these are said by the ulama. If we honor our ulama, and if we are serious about our togetherness, then we don't come and tell other Muslims the way you are doing it is incorrect. And then you have in our salah, I'm sorry brothers and sisters, I, you've know, I've been expressing the khutbah every week for 35 years. I've never gone into these types of details because these types of details don't belong actually in a khutbah. But they force us to go into these types of details because they've made them an issue of division and bad feelings among the Muslims. Now remember, I'm speaking strictly here about the Sunni schools of thought. So that, you know, sometimes people get a little sensitive, I go in details. But anyways, on the other, on the counter-Sunni side, you know what that means. On the counter-Sunni side, they also have, although with a little more understanding and accommodation, but among them they have the same problem. They see a Sunni praying one way and they... They consider this, you know, either an invalid salah 
or a salah that doesn't meet the required standards. However way they express themselves, they have the same problem. We will truly overcome these problems when you, you and yourself, you say to yourself, I can pray like the other Muslim and feel comfortable doing that. If you are able to do that, you have defeated the Umawi Islam of 14 centuries. If you are incapable of doing that, you're still under that spell. So when, when we are praying, we go down to the, raka, the, to the sajda, we are in our sajda, then we want to stand from the sajda, stand up. When we do that, we say Allahu Akbar. When do you say Allahu Akbar? Do you say it immediately after you raise your head from the sajda? Do you say it in the motion of standing up from the sajda? Or do you say it after you stand up from the sajda? All of these are legitimate opinions of our ulama, of our fuqaha. So why is it if one of these Umawi types today that have all of this, they're running out of money, their money's being stolen by their masters, but they've been working on this line for all of these years. And then we are stuck with their imagery that the other Muslim who doesn't do it the way, exactly the same way they do it, then he's a lesser Muslim or, or not a Muslim at all. And then we come to another issue that they make a defining subject out of it. And that is Al-Basmala. When we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, when we begin, let's say Surah Al-Fatiha, we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. What did our scholars say about this? Some of our scholars said this. In al-salat al-jahriya, in the vocalized salah, Maghrib, Isha, and Fajr, we say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim out loud. In al-salat al-sirriya, salat al-dhuhr and al-asr, when we don't vocalize what we are saying to be heard by the other, we say it to ourselves. Some ulama, that's what they said. Other ulama said, you don't say it at all. Neither in the jahriya nor the sirriya. You just don't say it. And then right now I step into another category of ulama, they say, you say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim out loud, whether it is a salah that is jahriya or sirriya, you still say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim so the other can hear you. These are the opinions, these are the rulings of the fuqaha. Now why is it someone comes along who has money, who has connections, who has an Islamic center, who has an Islamic school, who has whatever money can buy. And they say, you can only say it this way. You can't say it the other way. What does that say about the other ulama and the other scholars who don't agree with that? We made mention of Salat al-Aid when you say as-salatu jami'ah. Some ulama said that should be said and you will be rewarded for others for, for saying it. And others said, no, you don't say it at all. Okay, don't make a big deal about it. Whatever the person who's leading the salah, whatever he says, whether to say it or not to say it, that's fine. 
it should not be an issue that divides us. During Salat al-Janazah, the takbirat, we have takbirat, Allahu Akbar, four takbirat. Do we raise our hands during those takbirat? Or do we not raise our hands during those takbirat? Some ulama said, you raise your hand during each takbirah. Some ulama said, you raise your hand only after the first takbirah. Some ulama said, you don't raise your, cell, your hands after any takbirah. Why should anyone get upset if we have these three rulings of the fuqaha on an issue like this? Can't we get along and be with each other and acknowledge the way the other one is doing it is alhamdulillah acceptable by Allah? Then we have when we go in Salat al-Janazah, I don't know why we're concentrating on Salat al-Janazah. I hope there's no janazah in the near future. But when we are burying the deceased, there are people who are going to bury the deceased, his relatives, his friends, etc. As they are taking him to the grave, should they walk ahead of him? Should they walk behind him? Or should they walk with him, meaning he's in the middle of them? All of these opinions are there. Why should anyone make it an issue to divide the Muslims? Whoever the deceased is, the way he would have wanted it to be, whether they walk with him or behind him or in front of him, let it be. This division that you feel in yourself is more harming of the technicality of the difference between one faqih and the next. The qunut in as-salah. Some schools of thought say al-qunut is before the ruku'a. Uh, other schools of thought say the qunut is after the ruku'a. And other schools of thought play down the qunut Period, meaning there is no qunut. Why should that become an issue of dividing us, the Muslims? If the person settles on one of these three, his heart and mind come together and say, this is the way I think the Prophet of Allah did it. We're not asking you at this time to think that the Prophet of Allah may have done all of this. We've been hostage to the Umawi Islam for 14 centuries that I would be asking too much to request that we think that the Prophet did it in all these fashions. There's no contradiction. One time he prayed, he said Qunut before the Ruku'ah. Another time he said it after the Ruku'ah. Is there a contradiction? Another time he didn't say Qunut at all. Is there a contradiction in this? But that's how substantial the Umawi harm has settled into our minds and into our societies. We have the issue of Salat al-Jumu'ah. The Imam, before he gives the khutbah, does he say, Assalamu alaykum? And if he says it, does he says it, does he say it before he ascends the minbar, or does he say it after he ascends the minbar, 
and sits down before the khutbah? When does he say it, if he says it? Why should this become an issue that brings bad feelings among the Muslims? In Salat al-Eid, after the takbirat, do we raise our hands or don't we raise our hands? In the takbirat, when do we say the second pair of takbirat? Some fuqaha say, after you stand up from the second to the second rak'ah, from the first to the second, after takbirat al qiyam just like when we pray Salat al-Aid, if you prayed Salat al-Aid with us, you know how that is. Some fuqaha say it's like that. Others say, no, it's not like that. You say the second pair of takbirat after the second rak'ah. So why should this become an issue of division? But in our Islamic centers, the quote-unquote today's graduates and today's da'is and today's scholars who were educated by the Saudi system, that's the way they have it. We've had this issue of ta'meen. After we read Surah Al-Fatiha, do we say ameen or do we not say ameen? Some fuqaha said, you, of course this is in the salah that is heard, vocalized. Not in the sirri, not in the silent salah. Some fuqaha said, you say, the imam says ameen, you say ameen. That's one opinion. Another opinion says, only the imam says ameen. Another opinion says you follow the imam. Whether he says ameen, you say it. If he doesn't say ameen, you don't say it. Another one says you don't say ameen at all. All of these fiqhi opinions are there. You think a salah is going to be invalidated? Because someone agreed to one of these opinions and didn't agree to the other opinion? If you do, if that's the way you think, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help you and me so that we can grow up, mature, and become the Muslims of unity, the Muslims of understanding, the Muslims of accommodation, the Muslims of togetherness and the Muslims of integration can continue like this and alhamdulillah may all praise and all thanks are due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this type of biased judgment of the others right now is in decline it won't go away it's been with us for 14 centuries, but it, didn't have, it did not have the extent of the influence that it has today, whereby these types of differences, just this, no one's speaking about social justice, no one's speaking about equality, just these fiqhi issues in the minds of some Muslims is enough to kill another Muslim. That's how... Now, they, some of them are explaining these wars that we have in progress in our land. وَاذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ 
فأصبحتم بنعمته إخوانا وكنتم على شفا حفرة من النار فأنقذكم منها كذلك يبين الله لكم آياته لعلكم تهتدون المسلم للمسلم كالبنيان يشد بعضه بعضا أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه غافل الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب وإليه المصير الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين وخاتم النبيين ورحمة الله للعالمين أما بعد Now we come to we sort of release ourselves from taking a close look at these divisive issues that occupy the central thoughts of many Muslims and we take a look at reality what do we have in the real world this is a taste of the real world related to the first khutbah there's a book that was required this is I'm talking about almost 20 years ago this was a book called Al-Irshad Fil-I'tiqad required textbook at the university level in the Neo-Wahhabi kingdom in Arabia you had to study it you had to get a good grade in it etc it was written by one of their scholars who I believe is still alive his name is Salih Al-Fawzan this book is filled with every type of takfir and tabdiya and tadlil of any and every Muslim who disagrees with his Islamic conviction it's full of it and he he sort of is proud of his self-righteousness and he puts down other Muslims who have another opinion on a certain issue in it you will find that the Sufis are idol worshippers his words the Sufis are idol worshippers the Mu'tazilis are Kafirs now I don't know who in our time and age considers themselves Mu'tazilis but anyways they bring this out from our history and probably use it to throw it at those who are trying to think their way through Islam in our time even though they don't identify themselves as Mu'tazilis the Asha'ira 90% of the Sunnis in the world are Ahl Dalal Al-Maturidiyya another offshoot of the Asha'ira are Fujjar those are their words his words the Shafi'is the Malikis and the Hanbalis they are outside the realm of the Sunnah required reading at the university level youth where did all of this the problems that we have today these types who are killing other Muslims how did they how did they get the conviction how were they convinced to kill other Muslims
One of the professors at this university thought, this is too much. I mean, this book is taking it to another level. So he met with some administrators and some professors at the university to go to speak to the central administration of the university to exclude this book and replace it with something much more reasonable, much more balanced, much more integrative of the Muslims. So they go to the administration, the central administration of the university. They said, the central administration said to them, we cannot even touch this book or this subject. It's off limits to us. The person who's relaying this incident said he got the feeling that the book was part of their national security. And then he opened his eyes and he began to realize this type of book is circulating around the globe. So now he's putting the pieces together that this type of these types of rulers in that type of kingdom have a national security interest in the division of Muslims. And they will take that division all the way to the types of wars that we have been subjected to in, the, in this generation. Then, another issue in that university. These are the ones right now who are preparing to do a Sadat. Salman or his son are preparing to do a Sadat. That means they're preparing to sign the peace agreement with the war enemy of Allah and his prophets and humanity. So in this atmosphere, remember we're speaking about 20 years ago, nothing much has changed except in the past year or so they're trying to make an about turn. They said, At-Tasweer Haram. Drawing pictures or photography is haram, period. They have that in their books they have that in their in the way they run their institution, their university. So one time, the university administration sent some photographers to the classrooms to take pictures of the classes. They said they were doing that to verify that stu certain students are there etc so this person of goodwill the same person who's relaying this information he went to them the people way up in the administration well, what is it uh, we thought uh, taking pictures was haram and he began to give and take with them in an islamic behavior manner and you know what they told him they said, where are you? Who do you think, in their words, who do you think you are? When Allah says, This, taking these pictures has come from Wali al-Amr. Who, who are you? Who do you think you are? He said, they want me to shut up. And of course, I got the message. I'm only teaching there. Another incident that comes from this Umawi Islam, if we can call it that, that we are suffering from. During the time of Hajj, this is a real thing that happened. One of the Hajjij, one of the pilgrims, he said, you know, in the, uh, he's relaying this information, I don't know because I'm barred from going there, but he said, during the Hajj time, they have these 
tables in which they have muftis the Saudis have muftis at these tables so if you have any question if you have any concern you go to them and you ask them so one of these Muslims went to one of these uh, muftis and he said in my Hajj I, he called it Hajj Tamatta. I sacrificed my sacrificial animal a day before everyone else. So no, 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 you can't do that. All, you know, he began give him you know this one line of you. You know, you either do it our way or it's not acceptable by Allah. So this person said, I belong to the Shafi'i school of thought, and the Shafi'i school of thought permits that. You know what the answer to him was? This mufti told him, go to your Shafi'i and let him help you. The arrogance. The same person years and years ago attended a khutbah there in that kingdom in which the khatib said, Allahumma man da'a li qiyadatil mar'a lis-sayyara fa'a'mi basara. O Allah, whoever is calling for women to drive, have him turn blind. Washulla arkana and have him paralyzed. Waj'alhu lin-nasi ibratan wa'aya and have him become a lesson and an example for the rest of the people in the you I mean when you listen to this and you see what's happening in the real world and how today this these group of people have been poisoning poisoning the Muslims around the world how they are behaving today This reminds us of 50 years ago. There was an argument there whether it is permissible to have television in the kingdom. After an internal clash between the fanatics and those who are not fanatics, they agreed to legalize TV in Saudi Arabia. But they would only legalize black and white TV. If you wanted to have a TV in color, that was against the law. Of course, after a short period of time, they made that legal. You can have a color TV in the kingdom. And then from there, they went to the satellite, satellite dishes. It's haram to have those. And these things keep on going back and forth without acknowledging the rest of the Muslims. Why do they have in the Hajj or in the Umrah, why do they have a particular type of Imam leading all the Salah? He has to be, of course, a Hanbali. He has, has to be a follower of Ibn Taymiyyah and Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. They can't tolerate a Maliki Imam. They can't tolerate a Hanafi Imam. And all of the Muslims, I mean, some Muslims, they're not Hanbalis. Actually, the over, I would say a comfortable 99% of the Muslims in the world are not Hanbalis, Wahhabis. Comfortably. So why do we have this particular type? I mean, they, if they want to take turns, fine. One Hajj, let there be a Shafi'i who leads the, the prayer. Or the service the following year have another one from another school of thought of course if you tell them have someone who is Zahiri or who is Shi'i or who is Sufi or who is considered by them a Mu'tazili that's it's almost like saying you're not a Muslim if you ask something like that. This is how deep the wound is in our psychology. 
They've been stabbing us for 14 centuries. And they continue to do so. Look, you know, we've been out here in the street all this time. They consider that, ah, oh, these are uh, the, the bunch of these weird Muslims in their mind that they've classified in these derogatory classifications. Another incident from this same person. A professor was at the airport. He had wrapped some antiques. He had some he bought some antiques, souvenirs. He wrapped them with a Saudi newspaper called Al Watan. That Saudi newspaper had in it the picture of the king. So customs or whoever they are there, security at the airport, they saw this, they took him for interrogation. They sat him down. They said, what are you doing? Why are you wrapping this with the picture of the king, with a newspaper having the picture of the king on its pages? He said, this poor guy said, I didn't know that. I just took some papers. I wasn't paying attention. And So at the end, because this person, this person had a long beard and he had a short thawb, you know, they want you to walk with very short abaa uh, or if you happen to have a pants on to be somewhere between your knee and your ankle this was the so they said we will forgive you this time but you cannot do this again today in the haram in mecca the Sudais, there's a person there right now, he's appearing to be the mouthpiece of the Saudi Zionist establishment. He said, you, you've probably heard that the Saudi rulers have given instructions to all of their security services, their law enforcement people, to go and arrest potential troublemakers so they've arrested prominent scholars they're frontline scholars they've arrested them they've been doing this for almost a year now actually a year almost to the week and so today the person in the haram comes and says these people who have been arrested referring to his colleagues they broke bread together they shared meetings and conferences he says they are mutanakkiruna lidinihim wa huwiyatihim he said something like they are going against their own deen and their own identity they are traitors to their countries countries and to their nations and they are in subordination to their decision makers and to their leaders from the haram today and he renewed his pledge to these Zionist leaders in Arabia he said you have my bayah you have my loyalty this is a person who has become an advocate and an apologizer for that criminal ruling class. There's another one, 
him and this Abd al-Rahman al-Sudais are sort of competing who is more to the service of their lords, of their masters, of the ruling family. This guy, the guy is Muhammad al-Arifi. In all of this that's been happening, he's been turning a blind eye for him as if nothing is happening. And his followers on Twitter are getting fed up with him. Why are you silent? Why are you not addressing this violation of Islam and brotherhood and justice? It takes times like this to bring out the real character of people. Now it's become a crime in Saudi Arabia, a crime to speak sarcastically about the Saudi rulers. They're calling it a cyber crime. If you go on the internet and let's say you received an email or you received a text that has a caricature of the king or his son or anyone else that makes fun of them and you send you receive it and you send it to a friend of yours they will consider that a cyber crime and you tell you know what they're telling people do things like that you'll be put in the slammer you'll be put in prison for five years or you can pay three million saudi riyas that's about eight hundred thousand dollars for a simple thing like that what does that tell you does it tell you that they are confident of who they are and what they are doing? Or they're beginning to shiver right now. It's catching up with them. And then Saudi Arabia now, in the past week or two weeks, the Jordanian government has been rounding up Salafis left and right. For those who may not know, the Jordanian intelligence service is considered to be the most up-to-date and effective intelligence service in that whole area. So they, they, they've been detaining Salafis left and right. In that blind detention drive in the past couple of weeks, they rounded up pro-Saudi Salafis. Saudi Arabia went to the government in Jordan. Of course, this is behind the scenes. You all read this in your newspapers. And they said, what are you doing? These are our people. You're putting them behind bars for what? We need answers. Give us some answers. Now, the, uh, the court system, as if they have courts, but they call it a court system, whatever it is. Kangaroo courts. They're asking for the execution of three individuals. Salman al-Awda, Ali al-Umari, and now Awad al-Qarni, just today or yesterday, whenever, past 24 hours. Where are the Muslims? Is there any life? See, the Umawi Islam has taken away the vitality so that when things like this happen, oh, there's not much attention. Who's going to bring it up? Do you think they're going to mention it in the khutbah there? Or in the khutbahs around here? If they do, if someone is very courageous and finds that he can't sleep at night, if he just has to express something, they will obliquely make mention of They dare in their khutbahs mention the names of those who are detained. Salman al-Awda, for example, 14 million followers on Twitter. Can you just, uh, you don't have enough, this is Umawi Islam. You don't have enough courage in you to address a tragedy that is about to happen. They want, it, they want you to be preoccupied. This is where we are. A big issue to them if a Muslim man shakes hand with a lady 
Or a Muslimah shakes hands with a man. Oh, astaghfirullah, this is... Uh, then they go, oh, like, you know, you, this is a major sin. When they shake hands with war criminals, they put their hands, they hug, they break bread with war criminals. The Umawi Islam, when you see something like that, I just, you just pass by, that's, that's normal. What type of crime, what type of destruction comes from a shaking a hand between a man and a woman in good faith? Nothing comes out of no destruction, no wars, nothing. Let's say worst case scenario, we go into their minds. Worst case scenario, they're going to develop an affair. And out of that affair, there's going to be an illegitimate child. That's the worst thing that will happen out of all of this. But when they shake hands with their war criminals who are killing tens of millions of Muslims and hundreds of millions of people in the world, oh, our Umawi Islam, we don't, we can't see anything wrong with that. That's fine with us. And we have some of these people who have all of this information in their head. It reminds us of when Camp David, when they signed, Sadat signed Camp David. He went to the ulama there in Cairo, in Egypt. He said, I'm looking for a fatwa here. He says, fatwa for what? We hear about Camp David. This is how unplugged they are from reality. Do you want a, a, a fatwa for war or for peace? If you want a fatwa for peace, we can we can take the ayah wa in janahul silmi fajnahlaha. And if they turn towards peace, so you should also, you meaning the Prophet and the Muslim, should turn towards peace. And if they want war, there's ayahs in the Quran. Qatiluhum. This is Umawi Islam. Umawi Islam. It is said by some of the people who still have conscience, had conscience in them. It was said that when the Muslim scholars go to the rulers, the Muslim scholars and the rulers and the Muslims who accept that are condemned. But when the rulers themselves come to Muslim scholars, then you have another dynamic at work here. And look at these, the ones we have around. Some of our scholars in the State Department. One of the Sufi personalities was on, uh, was the vice chairman of Ittihad Al-Alami Li Ulama Al-Muslimin. He broke with Ittihad Al-Alami Li Ulama Al-Muslimin. And he somehow now is related to the U.S. State Department. Look, evaluate. Majlis al-Hukama, United Arab Emirates right now has put together a committee called Majlis al-Hukama or al-Hikma or whatever it is. The Council of Wise Men or Wisdom. And they brought together the, a different collection of Muslim scholars from all around the world. If you are under the spell of Umawi Islam, you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice any of this. And that's where the majority of Muslims are, and that's where that's where we should begin to free ourselves from this. Once we do this, we can begin to understand, we can begin to realize how to speak about our new year, or how to speak about standing up to injustice, or how to speak about the tragedy at Karbala, the shahada of an Imam al Hussein. But there are some people, oh yeah, they want to get, they want their conscience to feel soothed on the 10th of Al Muharram. So they cry for an Imam al Hussein and then they do business with Yazid. Allahumma arina al haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a. وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَارْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابَهُ 
ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم وأقم الصلاة Allah 